0: Sleep, go sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, Boss? You've lost half your body sleeping. I uh, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Hey, it's Brian. And hey, it's Murdoch. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories, everybody. Are you in your pajamas? We are the story guys at gmail.com if you want to get involved in the show. Uh, it may seem like your boy only reads rock and roll memoirs and it's true I read a lot of them especially now Uh, but sometimes I get to indulge in these stories on other topics and I wanted to talk to you about this because I read this book recently by Andrew Rice called The Year That Broke America and it's about the year 2000 Uh, and it it, oh yeah right you thought it was not going to be about the year 2000 Uh, it it sets the stage yeah yeah, for what the next two decades were going to be so post 90s like economic boom pre 9-11 Exactly, that's it, the year that broke yep, music. That, okay, it's well. They, so the book is about the year that it broke America. So it, it's about the oh. Gore Bush election. It's about terrorism, oh. all those things. But it made me think. It's I mean, our brains are in the same place, right? That's what it made me think about. It made me think about the fact that the one of the things this book leaves out is that this is also the year that broke music, sort of it, or the yeah. music industry.
1: Yeah, and even though I never used Pirate Bay. That was a thing. Like, I remember that, you know, but I I didn't have high speed internet for a long time, real truth.
0: Well, so I was gonna ask you, like, did you have Napster? Did that ever happen?
1: I missed it completely. I lived in I lived in New York almost the entire time when Napster was a thing and I didn't have high speed internet and I there was no reason for you to stay at home.
0: That's so interesting So, because we we are nine years apart. We've talked about this on the show before. So it hits for me at the end of high school. So I'm not quite in college, which would really be the prime time for Napster, but I'm right before that. So I do remember having it on my parents' computer and downloading like, I don't know, six songs. One of the main songs I remember downloading off Napster. You ready for this? You're going to be proud. Uh, Liz Fair Polyester Bride. Ah, what a, just, and what, what an a, odd list, Ferris. What a weird one. That's you like didn't do fucking runs Seems like the obvious. Well, I, dude, I can't put fucking run on my parents' computer.
1: I think it's cute. That you're like, I downloaded six songs. It's like I what did you to say, I downloaded sixty five hundred songs one night. Man. Which is what people what people did, right? Well, I know, but we didn't have.
0: We were on Juno, dude. Do you remember Juno? Holy shit! Was that <laughs> was that dial up? Yeah, this was a preacher man salary, buddy. We. But I, I don't know what you think we were rolling with. I didn't think that you could even. Yeah, you know, I, d- I missed it. It took. So I it took missed days. Napster. It took days if Napster. you were on Juno. You'd I be like, Napster is and- is this stupid Liz Fair song done yet? I've been waiting since Wednesday. Oh yeah, I never. Yeah, that's I never, so uh, funny that you never experienced Napster. But did you experience the stuff after Napster? Like after Napster? Ugh.
1: yeah, there was there was one plat. There was I guess it was LimeWire. Yeah, 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 that was a big one. And and that was the first time I was like, oh, so, <laughs> you know, and 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 as it almost as a like. Making me feel like a Boomer Gen X guy who like like Nirvana is a big touchstone point in my life because that's that's my junior year of high school, right? right? Right, right. But it was only then that I was like, "Oh, the the song titles aren't the same as what they upload."
0: Oh my gosh, dude! I would you would get so. Uh, No, that was a thing. And it's so funny because I didn't write that down anywhere in the notes. But that is like if we're going to talk about Napster, the amount of things that you downloaded and they were wrong and they were like and it created whole careers and whole perceptions for bands that weren't real. Like, for instance, and we maybe talked about this before because it feels like familiar. But one of the things that happened on my college campus was this cover of Gin and Juice by a bluegrass band. Do you remember Uh, this?
1: I remember it, but boy, it's interesting when you're listening and when I listen. Yeah, sure.
0: So that I remember that. when it hit the college campus, it was labeled often as fish, or as leftover salmon, and it was not either of those Lefto- bands. It wasn't leftover salmon. It was it was some dudes. They made a video. I, I believe remember it that? was. I believe they were called the Gord's. Was the name of that band? But honestly, I could be wrong because that was so mislabeled all the time. Also, it was really bad when you would download something and you thought it was going to be something good, and then it was just like sex moans or something. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, oh, Oh. I got the I got this bootleg, and then it's like just people fucking with you. That was always the worst. Oh, that that's a drag. I I remember like trying to download
1: live things, and then that would be very hit or miss because then you're like, you don't even know what live thing you're downloading, you know,
0: Well, and it's all, you're all at the mercy of how other people had labeled things. So, and it was going several layers back. So one bad label gets out and then it infects the whole system. I mean, these are all these things that we learned, right? In real time. But let's talk about, let's talk about Napster itself, right? Let's let's consolidate the conversation and talk about that because we're then going to get to talk, spoiler alert, about one of your favorite bands. Metallica. Because oh, you, we get to talk about Metallica. You can't oh really gosh. say Napster without saying Metallica in the historical storytelling sense, especially if we're talking about the year 2000. So, okay, June 1st, 1999. We've already sort of covered who we were individually on June 1st, 1999. You were a little older than me. Um, you yeah. were not experiencing Napster. I was. I had just moved across the country uh, into Arkansas. I was about to start my junior year of high school. Uh, but you were what? So if I'm in, in that year i am 17 so you're 26 and you're in new york
1: yes so i'm discovering new music basically as much as i can everywhere i would go and i would meet new people almost as as much as i can were you going to shows
0: in new york a lot and like buying records at shows um i was i was still i was buying cds what was your what was your new york record store
1: there was one in saint Mark's place that he used to go to yeah I don't know if uh-huh. it was saint Mark's record store
0: right on yep, maybe like
1: there was they had bootlegs and i i remember i bought like um zeppelin sixty nine film Fillmore west like stuff like I bought like things that i kept i kept and it eventually like you know created digital copies and i have them on a hard drive a different one but like now i can go on youtube and i can hear it and it's a better it's a better version of the one that i had on cd um but yeah but i i I saw music and i saw music that i didn't i didn't see or hear before so i was listening to like latin music and african music and listening to live reggae um that's where I saw Mephiscopheles, the death, the death metal <laughs> ska band, and the, 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 the They were they played together. Um, I saw Sloan like th- like three times. Yeah, I mean,
0: it, it suffice to say you were having a very different musical experience than uh, a 17-year-old in, in small town Arkansas. But I will yeah. say this is sort of the interesting thing about Napster. It does level that playing field slightly. Like, all of a sudden, hmm. finding some of those things. I might not be finding methoscopheles, but I am finding Liz Fair. You know, I am finding – I remember getting this uh, – this and this is the one thing I cannot find on the Internet. I, have like, sometimes challenged myself where, I, like, we'll remember a song or a band and be like, I bet that exists on the Internet somewhere. I have not been able to find this. If someone listens and finds this and sends this to me at WeAreTheStoryGuys at gmail.com, oh. you will be our favorite listener, my favorite I'm listener. I'm ready. Um, what is this? So I got this MP3. I think it was from MP3.com uh, CD, and it had it was like sounds from around the world, like pop music from around the world or whatever. It had like a handful of bands on it, and it had this band called Bestone, Beston B E S T O N, and they were like sp- Spanish speaking hip hop, which is actually probably not an accurate description of what they were doing, but I just remember. They had this one song on there, I don't even remember what it was called, but it would it started and the guy yelled, Abre la puerta, which means open the door. <laughs> and, and I say that all the time. People are like, Why are you yelling open Abuela the door in Spanish? Means I'm referencing a song that no one has ever heard except for me. So, best on is the name and I, like because of how it's spelled and what it is, it's impossible to Google. B E S T O N Musical Group just like we, brings you nothing because it's best on run together, we, right?
1: We basically ran into each other because I ended up getting a job working for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: it's crazy
1: that I totally understand the idea of saying things and referencing something no one (laughs) fucking understands understands. except you. I'm just going to say this. And
0: speaking of that, what I was thinking about a second ago while you were talking was that when we talk about the way music and the distribution of music has changed, you can see it in our relationship, right? A couple of personal details i still have walls of cds i cleaned the rock and roll bedtime story studio thoroughly this weekend i should take pictures and put up on instagram but a lot of what i had to do i spent like two hours taking stacks of cds and like re-alphabetizing them yes that still happens in my house so you got rid of i think before i met you you got rid of most of your hard copies of music and put it all on a hard drive
1: Mo- yeah, pretty much most of it, yeah. And then I did meet someone in in parking lot behind work, like a drug deal, and I got the Clear Channel, like I got that thing. Oh, yeah, you exactly. got like
0: a hard drive of the of the Clear Channel. Yeah, of like music and, library. And, what year and, like, was I that? Sh- uh, I forgot that you 2000, did that.
1: 2000, 2006. Well, so in then I, sh- I should just take it out in the yard and piss on it, and throw it in the fucking garbage, like you for, still for have just it? Clear Channel for Clear Channel like. Period. Like, you know, so, hey, here's the, here's the, here's the sweet child of mine with the radio edit that should, whoever created that should be punched in the dick 17 (laughs) times. (laughs) You shouldn't make that song shorter. You have to have that whole guitar solo. That's what they edit. Like
0: that's insanely terrible. So, uh, the other thing about our relationship with music is that I do have, I was going through some old stacks of just raw discs that I found at one point, and I do have discs that you have given me over the years of stuff out of your, like, just MP3 loaded discs that are just in your handwriting with just catalogs of stuff. And so... Now we have Spotify, and you also were the person who told me about Spotify because you are married to a woman from Sweden, and you were like Spotify. You told me like two years before it came stateside, and I didn't yeah. believe you that it would be as good as you said it was going to be because it sounded like a fantasy to me at the time, right? And it was it was made
1: to combat Pirate Bay which was in Sweden also. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, so, I didn't know so, that. So Spotify became a legit company to to deal with that. And there was some dude that you and I worked with and he was from Dayton or whatever and and I think I got the license from him. So I've I've had I've had I guess I've had it for like a dozen years.
0: Yeah, so I got I remember specifically so my musical journey. Why are we talking about this? I don't know. This all pertains. So I went from I had different phases of of music obsession. So it definitely CDs were always part of it. But in terms of discovering music and getting it, I was an e music guy. Did you ever subscribe to that site? Um, I didn't, but my friend worked there. Really? So I mean there are gonna be people listening to this who are like, what are you talking about? There was this website called eMusic.com, and you would you would pay a subscription and it was yep. about ten bucks a month when I did it, and you got thirty MP3s. So think about that. My Spotify account is 10 bucks a month and I have access to everything. This yep. I got between 2 and 3 albums depending on how you slice it and the selection was not great. So you had some indie yep. labels and stuff but you couldn't get anything like you couldn't just go download like a Justin Timberlake record or something. Like that's never going to no. be there.
1: Do you know Dan- Danny Goldberg was involved in that? Really? Yeah, that was he was he was a big part of that company. That's crazy. I remember when my buddy got hired he goes, "Hey, I'm going to this company. It's emusic.com it's like Danny Goldberg's you know and I was like really I was blown away um, but yeah it
0: didn't work uh, no it wasn't great and then so I, I actually had it until I got Spotify and I justified paying for Spotify immediately like the day that you were able to do it on Spotify because I was already paying for music, so I just canceled music. I had music for like a decade and then oh. I during that period I w- got really into hype machine which I discovered the other day still exists do oh, you yeah. know it still oh. exists?
1: N- yes, and man, I did. I don't know if I, did you and I do this together. We but probably we did. did we, yeah, we listen. We listened to hype music at work, and then we shared tunes from. That's we did. You and yeah. I shared songs from that before there was a, like we were using Spotify, so that was a thing. And and the way for everyone that's listening, Hype Machine is super freaking interesting, based on. How it's got the different genres of music. Well, and and it
0: sort of relates in some ways. It's very much like an adaptation of Napster, but with more refinement. And I don't know how it was legal. I don't know that it was because in a lot of cases you would try to get to the end MP3 and not be able to take it. But it basically connected music blogs, so that if you were a music blogger, and this was a the height of this was like 2008 or something, and you were putting up, hey, here are these two of my favorite tracks from the new M Ward record. Then I could go and search on this. It was basically cataloged this, and I could say M Ward, and I could or new M Ward record, and I could find any music bloggers that had any tracks from M Ward. And if it was a popular record in the indie scene, you could find the whole album because there would just be people would put up, you'd put up two, I'd put up two, our buddy across the street would put up two, and then you know you'd have the whole record. So I like accumulated records and MP3s, but it's weird because there's a lot of songs from that era that I know in weird orders or off of the, you know, the regular trajectory that you would normally know because I was like getting them off of these random music blogs. Yeah. The thing for me,
1: Brian really was that it was the different genres of music I was catching from hype machine. So I was starting to listen to EDM, which I had never listened to music like that at all. And then, um, I don't know, like dance music, like just things that I just never, it was never stuff that I sought out. I accidentally on serious driving home today, sex type uh, thing came on the radio and I oh, yeah. cranked it to where my head hurt. <laughs> so like I'm still there. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like that's, you know, my sweet spot is is still listening to rock and roll. Well, okay, um, so
0: let's let's talk about how this all comes back to rock and roll and Metallica. Let's start with the story of Napster though. We've gotten incredibly off path, but I think it all relates and I think most people listening, if you've lived if you lived through this period, you have a similar story right you have a pathway that you took to get to whatever service whatever way you consume music now
1: yeah and and if you're fans of the show and you're listening you're like man those guys are they made
0: sure to take a left turn at Santa Fe. Listen, we we took the left turn before we got started. Now we're getting on the road. Uh, <laughs> here's here's when the launch of Napster happens. It happens on June 1st, 1999, as I mentioned. And there's a couple dudes associated with this when you hear this story. Sean and Sean. They're both named Sean. There's S H A W N Sean Fanning and S E A N the good looking one, played by Justin Timberlake in The Social Network, and that's Sean Parker. Um, a couple of guys who were at the time a little closer to my age than yours. Um, And they'd they'd actually known each other for a while. They they met in a chat room. Do you know this about their history? No. So they meet over the internet. There's a third guy who's a part of this at the beginning of Hugo, and all three of them not legally able to drive. They're messing around with hacking, talking about theoretical physics, physics and computer programming and crazy stuff, normal teenage boy stuff. Speaking of normal teenage boy stuff, Sean Parker was legit hacking into the back end of Fortune 500 companies when he was this age. And there's this story (laughs) that's sort of part of the lore of Napster is that way back before any of that happened, he was a teen, and he was in the middle of a hack, and his dad walked in and caught him. Like a lot of news, you know, Hmm. as a teenage boy, you get caught by your parents doing things that you don't want to get caught doing. For most of us, though, it was not hacking into a Fortune 500 company. So his dad takes the keyboard, and he's in the middle of the hack, so he can't finish the hack. And what he's trying to explain to his dad is you got to let me finish the hack so I can get out because I'm in like I'm in their system. And oh. because his dad won't t- give him the keyboard back, the FBI shows up at his house. It's oh so the first time he gets caught is the FBI oh shows up on his doorstep. It's like, You're still in the oh. back end of
1: this company. Oh my gosh, Dad! You're such a butthole. <laughs> like that's that's what happens when dads don't listen or fricking kids, that, man. That, I'm trying to I, I was tell you say,
0: something. That sounds like so, something I would do is tell my kid, "No, listen. You be quiet. I'm the parent." And then right, the FBI and I know, shows up. Like, Officer O'Malley, the <laughs> FBI, opened up. So, <laughs> so was he charged with a was he charged yeah. with a crime? Yeah, he got community service. But I I tell you all this to illustrate that these kids were playing real ball. And and Sean Parker is hacking the Fortune 500 crowd. The other Sean, Sean Fanning, he's the one who becomes the poster child for Napster itself with the baseball cap. And he has this obsessive personality. He gets hung up after hearing some college friends complain that the internet hasn't really delivered on the music community. They thought it would like, we feel like with this should, you know, we should be able to connect to music. We should be able to get music and all that sort of stuff. And it's not, it's not delivering the promise we thought it had. And he gets obsessed with trying to make this concept of connecting single computers together. Uh, He's trying to get it to work. And and at some point he gets so obsessed, he drops out of school and he moves it. His uncle was, is involved in the company at the beginning for a while. And, He was actually involved in online chess, like in early, early versions of that, when people were doing that. And so he sort of had this understanding and idea of what Sean was trying to do. In the show notes, you can find the original Time Magazine piece about Napster from the year 2000, and this is like a landmark piece. If if you read anything about Napster, people will reference this Time Magazine piece. And yes, they've left it online. So I, it's a great little time capsule. It's so interesting to read about technology that changed the world while it was changing the world. You know, because now it's, we're two decades past it. Um, but let me read from this, okay? This is from that article. Fanning only dimly recalls that period in 1999 when he wrote the source code for the music file-sharing program called Napster. He can't remember specific months, weeks, or days. He was just hunched over his Dell notebook, writing the software, and crashing on his uncle's sofa. Then he'd shake off fatigue, scarf a bowl of cereal, and sit back down. He worked feverishly because he was sure someone else had the same idea and that any day now some software company or media conglomerate would be unveiling a version of the same application. Mm. So imagine this. You're, you're a young kid. You can't convince yourself that you're smart enough to figure this out before anybody else because that's, li- that's really what's happening. Here's a little yeah. more from, from the article. And he believed in it because his idea was simple, a program that would allow computer users to swap music files with one another directly without going through a centralized file server or middleman. He'd heard all the complaints about how frustrating it was to find good music on the net, how so many of the pointers on websites offering current, which is to say copyrighted music, seemed to lead only to dead ends. But Fanning figured out that if he combined a music search function with a file sharing system and to facilitate communication, added instant messaging, he could bypass the rat's nest of legal and technical problems that kept great music from busting out all over the World Wide Web. Turns out he did not avoid the rat's nest of legal and technical problems. No. Spoiler alert, narrator, he did not avoid. Uh, so no. Fanny but has- they got a movie about it. Uh, Fanning has this idea, but he doesn't have the money. And up to this point, three or four years into their relationship from just being in chat rooms together, Sean and Sean haven't met. So in in 2023, after the pandemic, the idea of like working with someone for several years and not having met them in person is not weird. but but totally then, gosh. Then, totally weird. So they're talking about this big idea, and they realize they're going to need money. And so Sean Parker says he can raise it, but he's going to need Sean Fanning to come to Virginia and meet investors with him. So Fanning flies from Boston to Virginia, literally has to walk up to Sean Parker's doorstep and knock, and they both look at each other. And say, "Oh, you look like I thought you would look." Totally <laughs> messed up. It's and so then, messed up. Then they get in. They finish the investor pitch, and they get in Sean Parker's dad's minivan. And in this minivan, they go to this meeting and ask for money. They get fifty k to uh, to try out this crazy idea. Huh. I know we have some younger listeners, so if if you don't if you've heard the word but you don't quite know actually what Napster was. Let me define in the words of a Kerrang article that's in the show notes. It's really good, too. Kerrang! Look at you. Napster, titled after Fanning's nickname, was essentially a glorified file browser which used a stripped-back interface to grant access to MP3 files on interlinked machines. There you go. That's it. Clear as mud. Um, So, Fanning figures this out. Parker gets the money. And on that date I've already mentioned, June 1st, 1999, they hit go. And... Napster goes live. And it doesn't just kind of work. There's this... (laughs) It really works. There's this great oral history that Fortune did about Napster. And obviously, that's in the show notes too. Fortune. There's a couple of amazing anecdotes that really help explain how big things get for the service and how fast it all happens. There's this story of them having to order and haul servers to server farms as fast as they can get them. Um, And then there's this... There's this story that one of the Shans and another guy go up to the server room and try to actually time file transfers with a stopwatch because things are moving so quickly. Wow. I mean, it's just it, life is moving at that sort of speed. But the basic headline is this. At its height, Napster will have 70 million users. And remember, this is a world where broadband internet barely exists. So you yeah. were joking, you were laughing earlier when I mentioned Juno, but that was the common situation was that people were using dial-up. Now, another source for this episode is a uh, a great documentary. There's a link to at least the first 15 minutes of it in the show notes called Downloaded. And it is it was done by Alex Winter, who, of course, is the 80s yeah. uh, star of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, along with Keanu Reeves. He's done documentaries for years. He did a great one about this. It was about ten years ago or so, and um, that he's he's, overse- he's overseeing the like the Zappa uh, music
1: archiving too. By the way, is he really? Fuck yeah! That's, I got to meet him in person, and he did this whole thing about talking about stuff. And then um, he was like, "Okay, we're opening up for questions," and I was like, "Can you tell us about the Zappa music archive?" And like. Oh man, he he talked about it forever, and I was like, "This is so, <laughs> this is so freaking amazing." I'm here with is he Ted? Was, it,
0: or, was he Ted or Bill? Yeah, he is. Uh, he's Ted. One of them. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah, Alex Winter, Alex Winter, amazing dude. Uh, but anyway, so he makes this documentary. The documentary opens with the sound of a dial-up modem, of, uh, as it would, right? And so I was watching this documentary in the studio and my wife is in another part of the uh, house and she walks by and she's like, is somebody, why am I hearing a dial up? <laughs> like she's having like some weird, like dramatic response reaction to it. Like i yeah. know oh, just watching this documentary. Uh, so that was a big part though. I remember hoping the phone line was clear, going in, pressing the buttons, listening to it and then hoping it catches because it does all the, you know, all the noise and then it has to like mm, get that sustained thing to happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah
1: i i remember when i um i bought a computer uh, <laughs> it's my buddy duncan rest in peace there was this guy that he knew and he had this government contract job and they just pulled a plug and like they weren't paying anybody and so he started selling all the gear out of the out of the um the loading dock on the back Nice, so I got as a, you do a, a as pedi- you do I mean, dude, now thinking about it, I'm like, I can't believe this dude. So, and he, he worked on the computers and built them too. So he put them all, he had, you know, the things, he just started taking things and building them. Right. And so I got a Pentium three um, and then, a, you know, big stupid ass monitor, um, like a, the tower Pentium three. And you know, when was this? Keyboard, like what year? 90, five, oh 96, man, yeah. That stuff was
0: expensive at that point.
1: Yeah. And and I I I don't I didn't pay a thousand dollars for it, That's Ed, at all. That's I paid like you know five or six hundred bucks,
0: and I mean dudes were in my apartment immediately <laughs> wanting to see where that modem was going to take them. You know, uh, well so it's, oh, it's funny that you bring the conversation to that point, right? I got to thinking about this about how long it took to download songs and the things you could the freedom that it offered you right and i went looking cuz i told you i have a bunch of cd's and i have a bunch of cd's you've given me over the years and all that i was like can i find the first cd i ever burnt from songs i downloaded off the internet and wow. i'm hol- i'm holding it here i for some reason pasted like i like taped the track listing the... on top can you see that yeah yeah which i've never done that i I don't know why you would like this is a dumb idea but for some reason it stayed and it's mostly intact i have made this a spotify playlist i'll put it in the show notes and we'll share it on instagram <laughs> so if you just want to hear brian's first ever cd mix from the internet this is it okay so this is why i bring this up though i made this at my older cousin's house the week of his wedding and i want to say i was trying to do the math i even texted my sister i was like when did steven get married i i can't remember i want to say it was the year 2000 i think napster was the client we were using so that would mean it would have to be 2000 or maybe the beginning of 2001 so can i just can i just say in the year 2000 (laughs) so we had uh he had a job in the software Industry somewhere. He's always been a, a quote unquote computer guy, right? Ever since he was young, he got in really, he didn't even go to college. He got in at some tech firm and it's, he's a vice president of some healthcare system in Cincinnati or something now. So he uh, had badass gear in the late 90s that nobody else had. And so when all this broke, he actually had fairly fast internet. He had a burner, also, stuff I didn't have access to, right? So I'm staying at his house as he's getting ready for the week of his wedding, oh, and I'm awesome. I'm just downloading. St- I'm like, Steven, can I use your computer? He's like, I don't care. So he's letting me just download tracks, and I make this is I got. I mean, literally, I spent the whole weekend. There's 15 tracks on this or something, um, but I also this is unrelated. So get ready for this rabbit trail i that week was a really important week in my life because i also saw the shining for the first time that week (laughs) really yeah and it scared the shit out of me dude we watched it in the middle of the night it is one of the greatest and scariest things
1: of all time Um, oh it it, hey man it it certainly is and and, and, in addition to that um I highly recommend go go to the, go to the freaking Stanley Hotel up in Estes Park. In oh, I don't think I can handle that. We, I, you know I vacationed can, a lot as can. a kid
0: in Estes Park. We had a we had a, a cabin in the family um that was in Estes Park, not like immediate family, Dang. but extended family. And so we would we were in Estes Park some. I did not go to that resort and I probably will never. I would rather not. I, it's not – It's now it's not just a hotel, which you can
1: stay in and ha- get married at. No thanks. And have a party at. It has a concert venue. Really? And it is it – is, it is legit. With Wow. With not – they don't have, you know, they don't have, like, you know, Grateful Dead cover bands and shit. Like, they have, like, legitimate, like, interesting artists that are playing – Clearly in the high country, like for real high country, because you're yeah. ten thousand feet or whatever they the advertise
0: notes. all the shows, they're like, It's it's great bands, cheap tickets, but there's gonna be two little girls riding around on Hot Wheels the entire time. So just be prepared for that <laughs> shit.
1: <laughs> I didn't oh. I did I didn't stay there, but I didn't I did feel that it was really creepy. Uh, oh my but God. I, I think they've spent millions and made it like they've they've made it look nicer too. That's so that's cool. But anyway. Okay, shitting, so
0: back to, calls. back to this CD. So this CD, I bring this CD up, not just because of the artifact that it is in this conversation about how we have experienced and discovered music. I bring it up because of track, track two on this CD. So track two on this CD <laughs> is a song called Take a Look Around by Limp Biscuit. You have a Limp Biscuit song? It's important to this story because do you know... What that song is, do you know? Take a look around. Do you know what, the, what they're rapping over? They're rapping over the Mission Impossible theme song. <laughs> because you laugh. Listen to me, Mr. Murdoch. It is important to this story because it was on the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack. In the motherfucking Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack is what breaks this entire thing wide open. I had no idea. But it's not the wow. Limp Biscuit song. On the Mission Impossible Two soundtrack. In fact, did you know that Limp Biscuit will have the opposite reaction of their soundtrack mates Metallica? They will go on a Napster sponsored tour with Cypress Hill, in which they do not charge for tickets. <gasps> That's their response Brian, to the whole thing.
1: Brian, of all the things, I, I'd like. I, do you know when the date of that tour was? Was it two thousand? Yeah. Okay. This is amazing. I never used Napster, and I saw that. I saw that tour at the Fillmore in Denver.
0: Fucking did. That's hilarious. Yeah, they had a,
1: cha- they had a, the cha- they had a chain. They had the chain. They a chain link fence like in front of the stage, like the Blues Brothers out of the, the, out of the fucking movie or whatever. <laughs> and uh, and. You couldn't smoke cigarettes in the Fillmore. I remember I getting hit in the head with a flashlight for smoking a cigarette, but you could <laughs> light up a blunt. In I was going to say you could smoke something I bet and that, and that was before it was legal there. It was totally weird. Um, but yeah, I, I saw that and I didn't I didn't have a soft spot for a lip biscuit then. <laughs> But was, you do I now, really and that's all that episode. matters, Mark.
0: That's all that matters.
1: I do now. I I do now. It's, it's admittedly so.
0: So, okay, let's tie this all together. This is what happens. The, you know, we hear about the Metallica lawsuit. That's not the first lawsuit. There's actually two before it. So Napster oh. goes up in 99 by the early 2000s, the RIAA, the Recording Industry Association of America, mm. and a group of 18 record labels that they will actually consolidate under the name for the purposes of the lawsuit. I think A&M records, but they, there are these two different copyright infringement cases happening, but nobody's paying attention because nobody cares about a bunch of suits fighting in a room. Right. I ran across this amazing anecdote though, about how the panic spread in the record industry. This is crazy. So, all the major record labels gather for a summit in the Washington office of the RIAA. The RIAA, just in case you don't know, is a basically a trade organization paid for by the record labels. So they're all, yeah, right. they, they come into this office and someone at the RIAA is like, we're going to play a game and it's called Stump the Napster. See if you can find any of the new singles that you are about to start promoting that aren't on here. And so these wow. people are walking in with like, Yeah, I'm about to promote the new Jennifer Lopez or whatever, and they like and then they're like boom, there's the new Jennifer Lopez, it's leaked. People are freaking the fuck out. So that's yeah. how that's then they're like, Let's file a lawsuit and that's what happens. So yeah. and,
1: and it's not like people were just buying something and uploading it, things are, are leaking. And it became, you know, like that's what kid A was. Like
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's like that was a free record. On purpose.
0: So A and M the A and M records suit, AM Records Inc. versus Napster Inc. is the second one. The RIA one is first. And still no one's really paying attention to what's happening. It's just news headlines, right? So it's gonna take some star power for this to get some real attention. That happens because of that different song on Mission Impossible Two soundtrack, a song called I Disappear by (laughs) Matalaki. Before we talk about you and your feelings for this song and this band, because I know you love this band, I want to know your feelings about Mission Impossible, the movie franchise.
1: Oh, well, that's, you know, that's kind of an interesting question. Um, You know, as much as I think Scientology is a blight on on the earth, um, I
0: I think Tom Cruise is handsome.
1: (laughs) I think it's amazing how he doesn't age. I, I watched... It's Scientology. I watched I, It's magic the fought, the the souls of Forna volcanoes. It was great with Risky Business first. I I, I watched all the right moves with with Tom oh, with Tom yeah. Cruise. I I saw the the recent thing and yes, yeah, so once I I didn't start watching those Mission Impossible movies when they came out initially. But then once I I Caught Like the second one or the third one, then I was hooked, and okay. I watched all of them.
0: Confession time. That. Since we're already talking about our, our teenage years, I'm just going to be real. So I had a couple of video cassettes that I kept in my room. Uh, one of them, I think, was That Thing You Do, probably. That's my favorite movie of all time. The other one was the first Mission Impossible mm-hmm. with Tom Cruise, 1997. It's, it's different than the rest of them. If you've not watched it recently, it is a noir directed by Brian De Palma. So it's very different than these intense action Uh, movies. But I had forgotten that I had this. And I forgot not only that I had it, I forgot that I had it memorized. And so a few years ago, my son and I were watching (laughs) the newer ones. And so we watched like Ghost Protocol and we watched the really badass one from, like there was a couple after that. And I was like, let's go back and watch the very first ones. And so I put in the first one. And it was one of the oddest experiences I've ever had because my brain was ahead of the video or of the dvd Mm. and so like all of a sudden i was like i'm speaking this script and i i was like it would really seriously weirded me out i've not had another experience like this in a long 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 time where i like had all of that hidden in my brain in a file cabinet somewhere and i knew that i literally knew it line by line amazing movie amazing franchise yeah i'm a big fan but i will say mission impossible two probably the worst of all of them (laughs) Did you did you see you ever
1: seen Risky Business, Brian? Oh hell yeah! It's our age, dude. When I had
0: okay, when I had COVID, uh, I watched. I, I went on a Tom Cruise movie marathon. I locked myself oh. in my basement and watched Tom Cruise movies. I didn't watch Risky Business, but I've definitely seen it. And man, you know, it, it's a classic, but it does not hold up in any way, shape, or form. Once you watch it as a parent, you're like, what is this? Why am I watching this? Why was this movie made?
1: Yeah, this is a uh, teenager and the th- oh, blah, blah blah blah, but you know, it, nothing holds up to days of thunder you know there you go
0: Did you get to that one that's the i i didn't in the movie marathon i should go back that and far and no. away with the, the nicole kidman <laughs> well she's double in and
1: she's in she's in days of thunder right yeah like she's in, in
0: and eyes wide shut right and she in all three of yes those?
1: that's that's correct yeah and since then she's made hella better movies jeez to Die For best my favorite movie with her but that's really? we need to get back to Metallica I like Paddington um, I like yeah, Paddington
0: so
1: di- Paddington 2 <laughs> I'm telling you everybody everybody out there listening right now like listening right now fucking Paddington 2 They're is, both man, good it, it Paddington 1 you, and
0: Paddington 2 are amazing yeah.
1: They're amazing movies Paddington's great Paddington's great I'm just saying Paddington 2 may waterfalls Brian out of my eyes is such a <laughs> terrific movie and Nicole Kidman is is great in it okay um, okay we got, okay so we, we got to keep we going gotta, we've
0: we've got to get yeah we've got to get back to this time period too and like you so, know so you, I disappear the Metallica shoot. song is the one where they shot it in the desert the video do you remember this because the opening scene of Mission Impossible 2 is in the desert oh yeah too. Okay, and, and there's a car later. Is Hatfield that, will hey, auction off the hey, car. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey! Is that is that is that what that song I think is? So. <laughs> that's, so, I, that's
1: I kind of I checked out for a while. So for sure.
0: this it doesn't. Where do, you, where do you think it is in the catalog? It doesn't break top 100, right? Metallica songs.
1: I disappear. I I don't know. I mean, they were still popular during,
0: um during that period. Well, this was after yeah. load though. So there was, their popularity hit What people were frustrated. It was, re, it was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and here's the thing to, to think about too, is that, um, they did, they did Lollapalooza in 96. Okay. And I don't know if you remember that, that was Soundgarden, Devo, the Ramones, Rancid. I can't remember who else was on it. And then, Load comes out, and they they tour for part of, like, 96, 97. Um, and then Reload comes out, and they do, like, a, a short tour in 97, and they do tours through 98, 99. And then they do a short tour for Garage, Inc., because I can remember, like they did a tour for for like everything, and then there was Summer Sanitarium.
0: Oh yeah, I forgot about so, that one.
1: So Summer Sanitarium. So when did when did Metallica file the lawsuit? Because I think I got us right here into like, there's what Metallica that always touring. I don't know if they just spent their wives and ex wives spend all their money, but those guys are always. Hitting the road. so And doing big monster tours. And they've had, they've in general, Brian, since 91, basically in the major countries around the world, they've had that their records have hit number one. Almost like across the board, pretty so much.
0: This happens, they filed a lawsuit in early April of 2000. So they did that and then went out on tour. Yeah. So here's what, here's what leads to it, though. So they're, they're working on this I Disappear song, and they're not done with it. It's supposed to come out in June on this soundtrack. Um, and they get a call from Cliff, uh, and he says, dude, there are 20 radio stations in America playing I Disappear right now, and it's not the finished version and they can't figure out how any of these radio stations got this. Oh, yeah. That's when they learned the word Napster. This is from a more recent Lars interview. So we traced it back to this company, Napster, and as you did in those days, it was like, well, let's go fuck with Napster. He mentions in this interview, too, that to them, in the beginning, this was what he terms a quote-unquote street fight, which actually helped with my perspective on this a little bit, because... I'm realizing these are guys, rock dudes, who have egos, who sense something being taken from them, and so they punch mm-hmm. back. They, d- they don't yeah. think about the larger context, and they have no idea about the technology. All they think is, we had this song, and now other people have our song before we're done with it. Somebody's going to pay, which is like sort of the street side mentality you would have if somebody took something from your house. And that's that's the comparison they will make through this entire charade. Is like this is like just walking in and taking something from somebody, which yeah. it isn't. In it as now that we understand technology, I I don't think it is. But for them, the way they experienced it, it definitely was. And I think at the
1: time, I I saw how the the pushback was pretty immediate from fans and public, but I I sided with them as a person who wasn't using peer-to-peer to
0: to, to do interesting, I mean, I was just too... I was too enamored by the possibility to think about these guys being in the right. I was too enamored by what could happen by 2023 where I would have access to anything I wanted to hear at any time except for that damn Best On song. Uh, You know, there was just too much romance in that for me, for me to, like, understand the business side of it. Yeah. They, um...
1: I did want to tell you that I looked up because immediately I was like, well, I got to find out, man, because I was in Denver for the summer sanitarium tour. And so if you go and you look at there's not a ton of American dates, but I can look at the box office and sort of see. And the majority of them are all like, you know there's a lot in the 90s you know there's several that are 100% and there's some that are like you know 80% but you start to look and it's like landover maryland 47% turner field in atlanta 46% um you know it's like baltimore 78% like their ticket sales in a couple of markets seattle like 77% like they sell out man and they you know they took a they took a hit there but it wasn't across the board it wasn't this thing because they were still selling out
0: arenas cuz were playing football fields you know that's, that's crazy. what they were doing that's I mean, crazy so i mean it, it, yeah. it's worth pointing out to your point that this is not a universal reaction to this there are other musicians with very different perspectives i mean we talk about the napster versus metallica dichotomy but you had guys like wyclef And Chuck D. and Billy Corgan and Peter Gabriel, who were all in some way, shape, or form sort of supporting this, Chuck D. actually goes on Charlie Rose to debate the subject with Lars. And that is in the show notes if you want to watch it.
1: Oh, my God. And, man, I forgot that exists.
0: Hell, yeah, it does. But, okay, it doesn't mean that Metallica doesn't have support, though. And people forget this. I think Metallica gets stuck holding the tab. But you realize within a few days of Metallica suing Napster, Dr. Dre did the same thing. No way. Yeah. See, it's just
1: no headline. That's yeah.
0: what it dragged. No, Metallica took it all. Metallica's argument centered around this idea of copyright infringement and racketeering, which I had to look up what that means. In this case, Again. it means uh, the fact that Napster was aiding theft, right? They weren't They weren't right. thieving, but they were allowing the theft to happen by giving the tools for the for the, th- the thievery. So, yeah, guilty. The lawsuit was filed in U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California. Metallica looking for $10 million in damages. Uh, Their rate was $100,000 per illegally downloaded song, which I don't think the math works out on that because they hire this online consulting firm to monitor what's being downloaded on Napster, and these dudes come back with a list of 335,000 Napster users who are sharing Metallica songs. Yeah. That they have a list. Lars has the press conference, and it's like
1: instead of Mitt Romney's binder full of women, here's these binder full of people who are... Who who are are stealing our music. And
0: and to be extra dickish, he like loads it up in a truck and dumps it sixty thousand sheets of paper at the Napster office. Did you know he did that?
1: No, but fuck yeah. What a great so idea. Here's where the That's innuendo
0: awesome. and rumor get out of control in this story, right? So this is this is an interesting one for us to to discuss because there is there are a lot of feelings about it. People just sort of know Napster got shut down by Lars and Lars was whiny and the whole Senate judiciary thing that we're going to get to. But what you, I, I, the other thing I think people think, I sometimes hear people say things like, well, Metallica sued their own fans. Mm -hmm. That's not true. Right. That did not happen uh they they, different yeah yeah, that's that's actually a totally different thing that was the riaa (laughs) you hear this story about a 12 year old girl getting her computer taken and getting sued um that did happen and that was the riaa that was not metallica and that happens later metallica did not sue their own fans but they did sue napster and they did sue right before they sued Napster, did you know they sued victoria's secret because they made a line of lipstick called metallica no how fucking stupid is that (laughs) that's ridiculous and just think about for me the most
1: rich thing about this like they did those tours i mentioned earlier but like dude this is in between reload and several years later before they get to saint anger and
0: you have the rehab the first rehab in in here like eventually so this is what i wanted James. to ask you i was going to save this to the end but since you jumped us there let's go there real quick do you think the reputation and, and we can discuss too what we think the reputation of metallica with this matter is now and when where their legacy stands around this but do you think that it's it's marred by the fact that the rehab stuff and the some kind of monster stuff happens after this and people are just like, we don't really take Metallica seriously anymore because first they, you know, sued Napster and now they're having to go to therapy together.
1: Well, yeah. And, and two, like, it was a little raw, the documentary, where they have Jason Newstead in there and he's, he jokes. He's like, we, we're going to get a psychotherapist. Like, we're a sports team. And we've made decisions about millions of dollars, and we can't we can't figure this out. Like it, you know. And you get to see them playing stuff that seems really subpar for, for the band. Yeah. Um. In, in in every way, shape, or form, and Bob Rock's playing bass. Um. And all of it seems r- wacky. And have I watched it so many times? Oh yes, I you, have. You
0: watch it as many and, times as I watched Mission Impossible when I was in high school. <laughs>
1: Yes. Um but I've also watched it with the commentary which if you've watched some kind of monster and you've not and you like rock and roll and you like watching your dorks like us like watch some kind of monster with the commentary cuz it's it's interesting there and you kind of hear a little bit of poking fun wow. at themselves a bit. And so the answer to your question is I I do think I do think that that had some damage on the band. I do think that St. Anger had a larger piece of damage because I think no one got it. Okay. And, you know, it didn't like, it didn't sell very well. And, um, you know, they couldn't get, keep that on the radio because it sounded so shitty. Like it just, yeah. It's like if they, if they re-recorded that album, you know, with someone like really excellent, like their album will be great. Like some of it's not as as great as other Metallica stuff, but it's just it's the snare drum, like that's that's sort of the thing. But now they've bounced. Ba- that was twenty plus, that's twenty, a little over twenty years ago, and now they've bounced back and they sound better than they did twenty, twenty five, or thirty years ago. They spent all the time in the pandemic clearly 100% rehearsing. And Lars was playing to a click track. And that band is tight as shit. And it's phenomenal how the
0: pandemic made them a better band. So we know that they didn't sue their actual fans. But what they did do is they asked Napster to ban their fans from the service. Mm. ban our songs from being shared and ban the people who share them. And that means 300,000 plus people kicked off that platform because they were fans of Metallica. Now, of course there were workarounds for that. You could alter your windows registry and rejoin, et cetera, et cetera. But Metallica went after even bigger dogs. Did you know that in this day, na- in this lawsuit, they actually also named the university of Southern California, Yale university and IU Indiana university. I didn't know IU, but I did know that they named uh,
1: higher ed near higher ed no, no. Yeah, I mean,
0: they'll eventually know. get dropped from the suit once those universities agree to block the access on campus. But this is why yeah. Metallica has gone down in history as being assholes about this. It's because they banned their fans from the service, which is sort of wacky. Fun aside, while this is all happening, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember the MTV Video Music Awards that year? Did they- in, two- in 2000? Yeah. So Sean in- Fanning's asked to present... And he appears wearing a Metallica T-shirt. Yes. And as he walks out, they're playing "For Whom the Bell Tolls," and he gets asked, like, as you know, it's scripted and corny, but he gets, "Hey, dude, where'd you get your shirt?" And he says, "Oh, yeah, a friend of mine shared it with me." Yeah, it's good stuff. But I, w- I bring this up not only for the punchline, but because it actually serves to illustrate something that I think is really important about all of this. Up to this point, computer programs, p- computer programmers were nerds.
1: Yeah, at least generally speaking. And right. And, and this was a rock star for all Here of the is. other
0: massive things that this whole situation unleashes. The side effect that I think gets overlooked the most is that this signals the emergence of tech bros as rock stars. It, yeah, it because literally you know. reverses the script, right? You've got the metal playing ripped gene rebels from the 80s as the establishment. Now, they're mm-hmm. the they're the suits and the ball caps, sporting blue screen obsessive kid is the folk hero. It's all really fascinating it It's
1: really weird, and this is where uh two thousand year that broke America.
0: It sounds like it was a probably a cool book it's a It's a really, really good book, and it doesn't even touch on this we're just this is supplemental material uh so it, okay it's it's worth touching real quickly. Uh, on the RIAA's history around fighting against copyright infringement. I found this really fascinating. This just gives this historical context, right, about why they're in this fight and did they see this coming, et cetera, et cetera. If you want to go really deep, I did stumble upon a YouTube video uh, from a channel called Band Bandsplaining, and uh, it is in the show notes. And it's very good, and they go do a nice job of covering this. But basically, here's a short version – There's this freak out in the 80s over home video and being able to record things off a TV. And it's ruled that it's okay because the primary use is for quote unquote time shifting. That's a fancy term that means basically that you recorded Charles in Charge at seven because you wanted to watch it at nine. So you're just Mm -hmm. moving the time that you're going to watch it, but it's still a transaction. It's a one to one transaction. So when portable mp3 players come along which happens in 1998 shouts to the company Rio in the badass Rio player that I had in the early 2000s that held like 12 songs. Yeah when, when those came along in 1998 the RIAA gets in a tizzy and tries to get them banned because they see the writing on the wall that you could put mp3s on here and then you could take that and put it on another person's computer and offload those mp3s. So they try to make it so that can't happen. They want to make it so if you're going to make these mp3 players you have to make that you can't transfer from device to device they don't end up winning that. And the, the reason they don't end up winning that is instead of time shifting, it the ruling is that the MP3 players have taken this a step further, and they are now space shifting. And that means just in the way that you could watch Charles and Charge at a different point in time, MP3 players allow you to listen to music at a different point in space. So you can take it from your computer. You don't have to play it there. You can then take it out on a run with you. And the assumption like is... Some-
1: Fancy lawyer shit to me.
0: The assumption is the 12 songs you just loaded onto that bad boy that you already owned them anyway. So why would you not be able to take them other places? Roger. But Napster shows up and brings cocaine to the party, right? (laughs) (laughs) And and this is how the drummer of Metallica ends up in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee on July 11th, 2000. let, Let me just tell you, it's in the show notes. It's worth watching just to watch Orrin Hatch be starstruck by the guys from Metallica. It's a weird moment. He's very into it. And do they all speak or is it just Lars? Lars gives the intro. And you can see this video in the show notes. He reads a statement about being an immigrant and starting a band with his best friend. And he says over and over that Napster is, it's the same thing as walking into a record store and taking albums off the shelf and walking back out. And as these things do, the court case drags on for a long time. But in March of 2001, the federal district court judge who was ruling in the case, her name was Marilyn Hall Patel, she will take action. The The case isn't decided, but in both the A&M lawsuit and the Metallica lawsuit, she issues a preliminary injunction. And what that means is, basically, it's like when your kids are fighting and you're like, I don't know who's wrong, but you're both leaving the room, right? So it's like, While we finish figuring this out, stop pissing off the rock band. So Napster has 72 hours to get all the Metallica songs off its server. Hmm. One year and one day after Lars goes to the Senate hearing, on July 12, 2001, Napster will settle with Metallica and with Dr. Dre. Now, I knew that, but I didn't know the details as to why they chose to settle at that time. The settlement does say that an artist, if an artist says they don't want their music on the service, they have to take it off. So they agree to do that for the people who have lodged formal complaints with them. But they take this deal because they found a buyer in the, in this whole process. One of the companies that is suing them in that AM lawsuit is Bertelsman AG, which is the parent company of BMG. And they agree to drop their part of the lawsuit and say that they want to buy Napster and make it legit, make it a paid service. They're going to pay $94 million for it. Did you know this? No. This no. is why I mean, this all falls up. This is why the, their lawsuits end is because they take the money thinking they're about to get bought. or I mean, they, they take the settlement thinking they're about to get bought and they're going to have the cash. Yeah, and BMG doesn't buy them. So here's what happens. They're going to. But about a year after that, there is a ruling from a judge who blocks it from happening per conflict of interest because Napster's CEO used to work at Bertelsmann.
1: Oh, what the hell? That's crazy.
0: And so it literally so that comes down on like September second. And when that goes public, it also goes public that on September first they had gotten the news and they had laid off Napster, the company, all 40 of their employees, they only had about 40 employees at that point, they laid them off overnight and put up on the website, Napster was here, and that's all it said.
1: Yeah, I remember that was, I heard about how it went away.
0: Well, the brand kicks around for a bit. Eventually, like in 2013 or something, Rhapsody buys it, and- They relaunch it as a paid service. Yeah, it, it never really works. It becomes overshadowed and mostly irrelevant long before that. And it was a short run. Like, we talk a lot on the show about bands' runs that were shorter than we might have thought about or how fast they put out albums or whatever. This whole thing only lasts three years, 99 to 2002. That's it. Wow. Yeah. And lots of fireworks during that time. But in the end, did Metallica win? i mean right. did, they, did they, did, I, I don't won, know. who won this case who won yeah. this case the, the digital music destroyed the record industry i mean that happened the mp3 player became part of our damn phone and metallica just had no idea or understanding about the technology they that's really this is the thing that that looking at it from this perspective for this show that i had never realized before is that you can basically boil this case down to the fact that Lars, James, the band, as smart as they were and as good of a rock band as they are, they didn't understand the technology at the time. They just, they just didn't no. get it. And no, yeah. Lars has literally admitted that. They, he, this is a, from, a, from a recent interview from the last few years. The thing that blew our minds about Napster was that we couldn't wrap our heads around why wouldn't somebody call us and say that they were going to put our songs on it? See, like they couldn't, they, they didn't, yeah, understand, they didn't that understand that it, they didn't understand it. And how it worked? Yeah, they didn't. They didn't understand the computers
1: were talking to each other, and there was no right, right. Yeah. And 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 what's and and to their credit, um, James has sort of even though what I mean, James had a rehab stint like three years ago, right? Um, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but he's kind of become the person that's sort of the spokesperson, front person, person that talks the the most. And and if you um, and if you're a big Metallica fan, you already know this, and if you don't, every one of their shows is online now. So you can not only download the entire show, but you can just download a song. It's like iTunes, like 99 cents each, or you can download the whole thing, and when you go to that show and you look at the the, the notes uh, of the show, it'll tell you, like, there were songs played from eight Metallica albums, and then it tells you which eight yeah, Metallica albums. Yeah, that's awesome. And, it, and then it's like... You know, um, no remorse hasn't been played in Seattle in
0: 28 years. Well, you know, this is the argument that Lars makes. And I, again, with, with this understanding that they didn't understand the technology at all, and uh, I, can, I can start to unpack their frustration. And one thing that he says a lot at, at the time in the press is, we went out of our way to allow people to tape. So even in the 80s and 90s they were letting people come they were setting up a spot in the arena for them to hold their digital recorders they, or whatever. They sure they sure were and man I took advantage of getting those those shows. Right. Yeah. And so they're like listen we have been doing all this stuff for the fans now you're just taking this thing we weren't and and it helps to understand too that people that were pissed that they took something they weren't done with which I do understand a little more. Then the idea of being pissed about they download the black album, right? But they're like, listen, we weren't even done. And now this song is on the radio and we want to do more mixes and we want to change the way it sounds. And I mean, you just spent like a, a half an hour of this podcast criticizing San anger, right? So like, there, p- fans do get upset about the way things sound. So don't take things before we're done with it. Let us fuck up on our own later. Uh, so yeah. it, it's, a, it's a really interesting, complicated issue that I think is really interesting to talk about now with all of this history behind us. But I don't think it's less complicated.
1: Yeah, and the I just think it's really interesting that they didn't understand it and it could have mortally wounded their career. Kind of like Elvis in those stupid movies he did. But they were able to bounce back and now I mean it's it's two decades later and you know they've they fully understand it and they don't really step in it. You know, it's like they, they're they a different band. I mean, it's just it's with age, I guess. Well, you know, it's, it's funny.
0: They, Lars said a lot at the time, and I think he said since, that he knows this is going to be like the third line of his obit. And he, re- he realizes that he's going to have to live with it forever and that they thought it was important enough to do it at the time. Um, here, here's one quick side note as we end. I was always a little curious as to, Napster went away, but by the time I got to college, we had LimeWire and Kazaa and a hundred other file sharing services that we torched hard drives with, right? I mean, I remember a buddy of mine torching a hard drive and then taking it back to Best Buy. Like He literally torched it after we figuratively torched it with MP3s and viruses. And then he like took it to Best Buy. I was like, I don't know what happened, uh, but man, <laughs> there was some damage happening in dorm rooms across the country from those file sharing services. I, I couldn't figure out why they could exist for for a for a lot longer. And I so I went down this rabbit hole and figured it out. Here here's yeah. the deal: they continue after Napster because of a technical loophole. Napster had a centralized server. Kazaa and those others are true peer to peer, and so. It gets held up in court in 2003 that Kazaa can continue to exist because of the lack of centralized server. It, it eventually gets turned over by the Supreme Court, and then those things fade out. But that's why it lasts longer.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. Um, so, dude, we we really we really talked it up tonight.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was and, and off the so-
0: rails, but thanks for hanging. This was a good time.
1: Yeah, and if I can't clear something up, I know I've took a couple shots at St. Anger, but I, I still like some of those songs quite a bit.
0: <laughs> I like that That's what you're concerned about. If we, if we can take shots, uh, the best song on the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack was not by Limp Bizkit or Metallica. It was the song by a band who has, uh, has not gone down with any historic notoriety but a band that i love and maybe one of their records isn't maybe like top 20 of all time it's been called diffuser they put out a record on hollywood records which was also the record label that put out the mission impossible two soundtrack that's how they got the dope placement and the yeah, song so yeah they put out a lot of stuff good uh i love them and they put out a song on that um album that i i do like quite a bit and so uh Yeah, listen to that if you want to go down memory lane. And email us. It's wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. Instagram is uh, rock and roll bedtime stories. You can interact with us there. And until next time, Murdoch, what should we be doing? Keep telling stories.
1: Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a story guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearetheStoryGuys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.